0: There are some notes in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. This morning we have the book of Exodus in the rearview mirror, and we're going to press on to a new series simply called Wisdom, and basically we're going to spend two months, eight Sundays, looking at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a little bit different than some of the other books we study on Sunday morning. It's not particularly helpful to study the the book of Proverbs verse by verse by verse, starting in the beginning and going to the end, you kind of have to take a thematic look. You kind of have to take the book as a whole and pull out the verses that relate to the issue that you're looking at, and so we're going to do that this morning, and we need to begin with just a simple definition of wisdom, and so you'll notice uh, in your notes and up on the screen, I've given you... A definition of wisdom taken from the very authoritative dictionary.com. And that definition is this. Wisdom is the quality or state of being wise. Don't you love a definition that basically uses the word in the definition? It is knowledge of what is true or right coupled with just judgment as to action. Sagacity, discernment. Or insight. One of the things I do like about this definition of wisdom, and over the next several weeks we'll present you with other perspectives on wisdom and talk about where they're on point and where they're maybe off point, but I like the idea that this definition connects knowledge about what is right to action. It connects what you know to be true in your head with something that actually plays out in your life, because here's the fact of the matter. I could care less what your IQ score is I could care less what you think your IQ score is. I don't care what you made on the SATs or the ACTs or how great you did in high school calculus. I don't care about any of those things. I don't even care when it comes to wisdom. I don't even care how many Bible verses you can rattle off. If the knowledge in your head is not played out into real life, the book of Proverbs says you're a fool. You may have great intelligence in certain areas. Maybe in your job or your hobby or your interest. you know all there is to know. But the book of Proverbs says repeatedly, if you act like a fool, you are a fool. Simple intelligence is not what we're talking about when we talk about wisdom. So I like the idea in this definition that Knowledge is coupled with action. What you know to be true has to play out in your life. One thing I certainly don't like about this particular definition of wisdom is the fact that God is completely absent from it. So when we come to the book of Proverbs, we're going to need a better, a clearer, a more fuller definition of wisdom. So I'm going to give that to you now. We're going to use this definition every week. We're going to try to drum it into your head. Here it is. Wisdom is fearing God... Fearing God, knowing God's will, and thirdly, living in light of God's will. Fearing God, knowing God's will, and actually living in light of God's will. Those three words form the foundation of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. There's got to be appropriate fear. There's got to be appropriate knowledge of what God's will is. And then it's actually got to be lived out in everyday life. That's what we're talking about When we talk about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, this morning our focus is going to be, and you see the heading on your notes, the first part of that definition, it's going to be the idea of fear and what the book of Proverbs has to say about fear. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but fear is big business in the United States of America for example, last night Brooke and I went to a movie. It was a suspenseful movie. There was about 30 parts in the movie where you jumped and you just threw your popcorn up in the air. People pay big money to go see movies that are scary or frightening or suspenseful. Maybe scary movies aren't your thing, but maybe you like scary rides. You like to go to the amusement parks and ride the roller coaster that dangles you by your toes and flips you upside down and spins and does a loop, and then you come back safely and you say, oh, that was thrilling. It was so scary. It was so much fun. It's also big business in that as Americans in our culture, we pay big bucks to deal with our phobias. Here are the top 10 phobias in the United States of America arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, aphidiophobia, the fear of snakes, right there, that's me, acrophobia, the fear of heights, agoraphobia, the fear of crowds, xenophobia, the fear of dogs, astrophobia, the fear of thunder or lightning, trypanophobia, the fear of needles, claustrophobia, the fear of confinement, aerophobia, the fear of flying, and misophobia, the fear of germs. How many of you have at least one of those phobias? You say, that's me. Most of us. We're frightened people. We're fearful people. Now, those are familiar to you. Just for fun, I'm going to show you a few more phobias that might come in handy to know about if you attend church at Emmanuel. Number one, homilophobia is a fear of sermons. So if you just need to get up and you need to leave, you just say, I have a medical condition. (laughs) Homilophobia. Have you ever heard of it? Fear of baldness. <laughs> Curophobia, fear of hands. These are the people who, when I say turn around and greet your neighbor," they just sit down and stare at the floor. They just <laughs> don't tap me on the shoulder. Don't look at me. Pedophobia, these are the people who won't work in the nursery. Fear of kids. <laughs> Uranophobia, the fear of heaven. We can help you with that. Stigiophobia, the fear of hell. I hope you have that. Now, I've worked all week long on the next two, so I'm going to. You ready? Hexacosioi, hexaconta, hexaphobia is the fear of the number 666. <laughs> so these are the people when they, they get the receipt from the grocery store or whatever and the, it's got that number. I don't want the receipt. No, I don't want that. or... They ring you up and it's six dollars and sixty six cents. You say add a T to it or add a coat, add something to it. Okay, you ready for the next one? on equidalaophobia. Eh? That's pretty good. Is the fear of long words and whoever whoever made that up is just I love that sense of humor. What? Fear of long words. What are we going to call it? Well, let's fill the whole page up. I don't know. (laughs) Last, theophobia. The fear of God. And all joking aside, you need to understand that according to the book of Proverbs, this is the fear that ought to be foundational in your life. This is the phobia that if it's not present in your life, there is zero chance, zero chance that you will ever be wise or that you will ever know eternal life. It must be present in your life and it must be present in my life. In the book of Proverbs, this is interesting, you'll find the word fear 17 times. 16 of those references say you should fear God. That's the emphasis. 17 total times, 16 of them say, fear God. One of them says, you shouldn't fear man. So both perspectives are there, but you see the emphasis is clearly on the idea that you should fear God. Now let me just say this. Let's slow down on this idea. 16 times the book of Proverbs says that you should fear God. Listen to me. When the Bible says, fear God, what they mean is fear. They had a word for respect and they had a word for reverence. If that had been the meaning that they intended to convey, they would have used one of those words. Of course you should respect God. Of course you should revere and feel reverence before God. But the word that is used in the Old Testament and we'll see by Jesus in the New is fear. And the word means what you think it means. Fear. When you get a, 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 a glimpse or a grasp of who God is and what He's like, the appropriate response that you should feel knowing who you are as a sinner, as a finite, small human being who's in rebellion against God, you should feel fear. But before you ever can feel that, before you can ever fear God, you have to know what He's like. Now, look, we could feel pages. I could give you attribute after attribute after attribute. What I've done is I've gone through the book of Proverbs and I pulled out the central ideas about God's character that you need to know from the book of Proverbs if you're going to understand God and fear him appropriately. Now, I'm going to warn you this morning, we're going to move fast through some of this stuff. I've tried my best. I think I have every verse from Proverbs I'm going to throw up on the screen. If you want to try to flip around, you're welcome to do that, but we're going to move quickly through these verses, and you can do your homework on the back end, which you always ought to do, to check me and to read the Scripture yourself and to say, did he say anything remotely close to what the Bible actually says? But this morning, we're going to move through these verses fast. Before you can fear God, you've got to know him. Six truths. Number one, God is the creator. He made you. He made everything. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says this. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. You've got to understand that God's the creator. Number two, God is holy. He's holy. We talk about this all the time. God is holy. Proverbs 30, verse 3. You can go back and read the context, but look how he describes the Lord in this verse. He says, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. He refers to God as the Holy One. So God is holy. Number three, God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Proverbs 21, 30 and 31 No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to God. God is the source of all power. Not your horses, not your military, not your government, not your bank account. God is all powerful. Number four, God is omniscient. That means he knows everything, past, present, future. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, your secrets, your emotions. God knows all of it. Listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs 24, 12. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? You can say, well, we didn't know. Well, I didn't know. Well, you didn't know. But God knows. He weighs the heart and he sees your soul and he knows all things. Number five. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. This is sort of an extension to the idea that he's omnipotent. This idea of sovereignty is not just that he has all power, but that he exercises that power rightfully as the creator over everything that he's made so that everything is under his control. Everything, even things that seem small and insignificant and quote unquote "random." look what the Bible says in Proverbs 16:33. "The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. He's in control over who gets the long straw or who gets the short straw, or what the dice roll to, or who wins the lottery. All these seemingly random things, they all fall under the sovereignty of God. Everything falls under His sovereignty. Number six, God is just. He's just. He always does what is right. Proverbs 21:12. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked and he throws the wicked down to ruin. He always does what is right in punishing sin. Now look, we could add to that list, if we went outside the book of Proverbs, we could list attribute after attribute after attribute, we could talk for days and days, but in the book of Proverbs, these are the core truths that you need to understand about who God is. And what I'm saying is, if you ever want to find wisdom, you have to start with this foundation. He's the creator, he's holy, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's sovereign, and he's just. All right, let's drill down a little bit deeper on this idea of fearing God. These these are on your on your notes. We'll just move through these as quickly as we can. Fearing God is a necessary part of wisdom. You can't have wisdom unless you fear God. It's necessary. There's no shortcut, there's no long cut, there's no alternate route. If you want to be a wise person, you must fear God. Three different verses. Proverbs one twenty seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. Over and over, the book of Proverbs beats this drum. If you want to be wise, you must fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. Notice in all of those verses, when you read the word Lord, it's Lord in all caps. Sometimes in the Old Testament you read Lord and it's capital L, little O, little R, little D. That means like the boss, the Lord, the power, the authority. But when you read big L, big O, big R, big D, it means Yahweh. It's God's name. And this is what the author of Proverbs is saying to you over and over. Yes, you've got to fear God, but you need to make sure you fear the right God. Not a God of your own invention, not a God that's popular in American culture, not the the God that gets preached on daytime or nighttime or anytime TV shows, but the God of the scriptures, the God of Israel, Yahweh. A vague, vanilla, generic idea of some higher power up there. You just believe that someone's up there. It's not enough if you want to be wise. Just simply acknowledging the existence of a deity does not mean that you fear the Lord, Yahweh. You've got to make sure your understanding of God and my understanding of God lines up with what the Bible says about God. Next, fearing God is connected to obedience. Those two things go together. When you get the fear of the Lord in place in your life, the result of that, one of the results of that will be obedience. So let's look at these verses. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Those two things go together. If you fear the Lord, then the assumption is you're going to turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. 16.6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. 23.17. Let not your heart envy sinners but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. is what the author of Proverbs is telling us. In your life, when you get the fear of God, the fear of the Lord nailed down properly, one of the results is you are going to turn away from evil. You're not going to envy sinners. You're not going to wish that you could do all those fun things that they're doing. You're not going to feel like God is restricting your freedom. When you fear God rightly, you are going to turn away from evil. Now, let's look at it from the other perspective. In your life and in my life, when there is a failure to turn away from evil, what that means is there is a failure to fear God properly. And when you think about your heart and I think about my heart and we think about the sins that we wrestle with over and over and over again. And maybe in your life or maybe in my life there's not a whole lot of wrestling. Maybe we're just giving over to them over and over and over again. You understand, people that come to church on Sunday morning battle sin. They have to fight it. It's not just easy to walk with Jesus and to fear the Lord. You're constantly fighting sin in your life. But in your life, if the fight is pretty much over and you've just given yourself over to that sin, you don't need better habits. You don't need a change of routine. You don't need more willpower. You need to fear God. When your understanding of who you are as a sinner lines up with this picture that the book of Proverbs paints about who God is as the creator and the sovereign one, and he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, he knows your heart and your motives and your feelings and all of it, and he's just, when all of that lines up, you're going to turn away from evil, and so am I. And many times, our failure to turn away from evil is a consequence or is a result of the fact that, yes, we can give the right answer. I can fill in the blank. God is this, 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 and this. But we haven't really let those truths seep down into our hearts. When you fear God, there's a connection to obedience. Or as the book of Proverbs says, turning away from evil. Number three, and I don't want you to throw rocks at me till I explain myself here. Fearing God results in a better life. I haven't gone soft. I haven't been reading Joel Osteen. I'm not going to, you know, slap you on the head and heal you of all your infirmities and all of that. But I do want us to listen to what the book of Proverbs says. Fearing God results in a better life. Here's the basic idea before we read these verses. God made you. And he made you to know him. And he knows how life works best. You don't know how life works best. God knows how life works best. And he tells you, this is how it works best. This is how I made you to live and operate and think and feel. Do it this way. That's how it works best. And the book of Proverbs says, if you fear God, it's going to result in a better life. For example, Proverbs 15, 6. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. That's not health and wealth, is it? That's not saying your best life now and full bank account and never have to go to the doctor. That's the book of Proverbs saying, look, this is how life really works best. Maybe a little bit of suffering coupled with the fear of the Lord. That's how life works best. Maybe rather than having an excess, not having quite enough, but you fear God. God. That's how life works best. Maybe not getting the promotion at work, but just being stuck right where you're at, but you fear God. That's how life works best. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. If you want to be satisfied in life, if you want to find contentment in life, it's got to start with the fear of the Lord. Too many of us say, I would be satisfied and I would be content if I just had a little more. Or if I just got one more promotion. Or if I could just get over this illness. Or if I could just one more milestone in life. Then we could breathe a sigh of relief. But the the book of Proverbs says, "No, no, no, no. If you want to be satisfied... If you want to be able to take that breath of relief in life, you have to fear the Lord. Proverbs two four: the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. One of the things you see in the book of Proverbs is that they are generally true in this life. They describe how life normally works and they are ultimately true in the next life. You may look at that verse, put it up one more time, verse 22. Chapter 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in in life. And you may say, well, that sounds an awful lot like the prosperity evangelist I heard on TV. Well, maybe. Prosperity evangelists love to twist the book of Proverbs to their own ends. Because they forget that they're generally true now and they're ultimately true in eternity. And if you want true riches and true honor and true Life, you've got to start with the fear of the Lord. One last thought from Proverbs. Fearing God and wisdom are gifts that God gives to those who listen, ask, and seek. Fearing God and wisdom are gifts that God gives to those who listen, ask, and seek. And this is one place I would like you to turn in your Bible, and we're going to look at Proverbs 2. We're going to read verse 1 to 6. There's a very clear argument being made in Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. As we read it here in just a minute, you're going to find three conditional statements. They begin with the word if. If, if, if. Then you come to the conclusion or the promise. It begins with the word then. And then there's an explanation in verse 6. Proverbs 2, 1. My son, if you receive my words... And if you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, if, 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 then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. All of this explained in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. We don't conjure it up. We don't find it in the world. You can't get a degree that gives you wisdom. The Lord gives it. The sovereign Lord. Who knows everything and is in control of everything. And has all power and all authority. And who is just and holy. The creator. He gives it. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Very simple. If you receive God's word, that's the first if. Second if, if you ask for it, for wisdom, you call out for it. Third if, if you seek it like treasure, right? You receive the word of God, you're asking God to give it to you, and you seek it like it was lost treasure, then... Here's the promise. You will understand the fear of the Lord. You will receive wisdom. Why? Because God's the one who gives it. It's a gift. When we lived in Kentucky, I read a story about a guy named John Leonard. A lot of interesting history in our neck of the woods where we were in Kentucky. Our church had a small cemetery. Uh, There were people buried in that cemetery from the Civil War. I had a man in my church live down the street. At one point there was a, a confederate camp on his property and uh, from time to time he would have historians from the university down the road that would want to come out and dig up his ground and they would find cannonballs and old metal objects and all sorts of interesting history. And I read about a guy named John Leonard. John Leonard didn't live where we lived but he lived in Kentucky and this was right after the Civil War. His, most of his family had died in the war and He had sort of gone to his in-law's home, and he was gathering up some of their belongings. And he came across a letter, and it was a letter that his father-in-law had written to his mother-in-law. Okay, So John Leonard is going through his family's things. Civil war's just ended. Family is mostly dead. What am I going to do with this property and this stuff? And he finds a letter. Mother-in-law wrote it to Uh, excuse me, father-in-law wrote it to mother-in-law. And it's, you know, typical stuff of sort of a will and how much he loves her and all this sort of stuff. And then down at the bottom, he says, oh, by the way, I buried the family treasure close to the house, in a chest, in between two white oak trees, about five feet down. So there he is reading. He's looking at, you know, The aftermath of the war, lost his family, and all of a sudden he sees a promise of treasure. And he thinks, Well, I gotta check this out. So he grabs a shovel, he goes outside the house, he finds two white oak trees, he kind of gets out in the middle of them, he starts digging, he makes it about five feet down, thud, there's a chest. He kind of scrapes it off enough to see what was there, and he's looking at it five feet down, he's all by himself, and he says, That's a big chest. And if it's full, I can't get it out myself. So he covers it back up. And then he made two mistakes. One is he went to town and he started talking. He started telling people about, hey, I found this letter. You won't believe what I got in this letter. There's a treasure buried, and it's out by my in-law's house, and there's these oak trees, and this is going to be great. He just couldn't keep his mouth shut. The book of Proverbs talks about people who can't keep their mouth shut, by the way. Couldn't keep his mouth shut. Second mistake, he was a casual treasure hunter. Rather than go straight to town and get help and go back out and pull the chest up, he went to town and had a good old time at the saloon and waited to go back the next day with help where he found a freshly dug hole right by the house, in between two white oak trees, about five feet deep, with a square shape at the bottom of it. treasure was gone. And it's so easy for you and I to hear that story. It's a true story. It's so easy for you and I to hear that and say, what a fool. I mean, really. What a fool. Why would you leave it there, dig a bigger hole, do whatever you got to do to get that thing up? Go get help and come right back. Don't tell anybody about it. What a fool. I'm afraid when it comes to wisdom wisdom, that we're not all that different than John Leonard. Here's the thing. We know where it's at. At least if you didn't before you walked in the room this morning, now you know. You know where it's at. And as Christians, we talk a good game about God's Word, we believe it, it's true, we're just not in much of a hurry to dig into it. Yeah, we'll receive it if we come to church and somebody spoon-feeds us, me to you or your Sunday school teacher to you, that's good. The question is, is it something that you are seeking like it was lost treasure, Or are you a lot like John Leonard and you're going to go to lunch and you're going to talk a big game and talk a good game, but you're not going to be in much of a hurry to get it? The good news is, if you're not in much of a hurry, no one's going to steal it in the sense that you can't come back and get it later. The bad news is, the book of Proverbs warns us of this, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You may not get to come back tomorrow. This may be the last Sunday that you ever attend church. Today may be your last opportunity to dig into God's Word and to receive God's Word and to ask Him for wisdom and to beg Him, help me to understand what it means to fear you. Proverbs says that it's available as a gift for those who listen and ask and seek We'll end with this question. What does Jesus say about fear? Well, it's almost like he read the book of Proverbs because first he says this, we should not fear man, but we should fear God. He echoes the book of Proverbs. 16 verses tell you fear God. One verse tells you do not fear man. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do not fear man, but most certainly fear God. Secondly, we don't have to fear death if we know Jesus. That's straight from Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We don't have to fear death if we know Jesus. This is what we read as John gets an initial vision of Jesus. Jesus says to John, Fear. Not. And when you read that, we pass over it because we're so familiar with it. But if you've read everything else in the Bible, it should shock you a little bit. Because the book of Proverbs says, Fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God. And Jesus comes along and echoes that and he says, Yes, you should fear God. And now all of a sudden, Jesus says, You don't have to be afraid. There's something you don't have to be afraid of. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I have the authority over hell and death itself. And if you know me, you don't have to fear death. Should you fear God? Absolutely, 100% yes Jesus himself said it fear the one who can destroy body and soul in hell however if you come to God through Jesus Christ the one who lived a life of obedience the one who died as a sacrificial death on the cross the one who rose three days later defeating sin and death you don't have to fear death we fear God But we don't fear death when we know Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow. And I want us to think for a moment about fear in our lives. Our relationship with the Lord.